Right, hello, welcome to the 7L Off-Piste podcast. This is episode one. First of all, thank you to every single person who's uh, took the time to have a listen to this. If you could subscribe, uh, give it a like, we would really appreciate it. Of course, you can you can download and listen to this from all your usual podcast providers. Uh, right, let's set the scene. Let's tell them where we are. So first of all, I'm Nige. I'm uh, one of the hosts of this podcast. I do a little bit of radio uh, across across the Northwest uh, for or Capital FM and a few of the bits and bobs of presenting. Uh, joined by Ollie Chock as well, say, Ollie, aka Wingman. Yeah, uh, but I feel like I'm your Wingman, so this is like <laughs> exciting to be to be working with you on this, guys. It's uh, yeah. So I'm Ollie or Ollie the Chock, as people might know me. Uh, I'm a chocolatier. You know, I've grown up in a family business in the um, Manchester area, so I'm uh, yeah, I'm a creative thinker, which is why I'm attracted to Seven L. You know, I love fashion and. And, you know, I've had some exciting conversations with um, the main man himself, who we are sat before, where's Mr. Jamie. Thri- where's our pink three-layer everywhere? Everywhere I go. And the yeah. pink the pink jacket literally is a great conversation starter. And I said to Jamie, this jacket will tell a lot of stories because everywhere I go, it's like, I love your jacket. Where's your jacket from? And it's... Uh, it's it, yeah, it just breaks the ice, and then you never know who you're going to meet as a result of somebody stopping you to ask you where that jacket's from. So yeah, I mean, same same goes. I absolutely love the brand. The clothing is ridiculous. It is right up my street. And uh, I mean, let's talk about where we are at the minute. We're in we're in the shop in Oldley Edge. Look around; it's just incredible. What a, what a setting for a podcast. Yeah, it's eye candy if you're into <laughs> your cool jackets, like the colours, the the textures, and um, it's it's so inspiring. And what I love about this is that for me it's not just fashion it's it, it gives you a feeling it gives you confidence and and that's what it's always been for me from being a kid at school yeah. um putting on a new jacket going in walking tall um you know non-arrogant but just being like yeah you know i've, I've got this I've, I'm cool, yeah, and, it's and it's like self-esteem. I, self-esteem. Yeah. Look yeah. good, yeah. feel good. Look that's good, it. Feel good, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So I'm, I'm I'm passionate about this whole. Yeah, where we are and, and what we're about to talk about. Yeah, exactly. Well, listen, we've we, we've been talking about about this for ages, and uh, finally we're, we're doing this. And uh, I'm really interested to find and speak well, to speak to loads of different people involved with the brand. Uh, so we might as well start with the main man today. We have got founder and owner. Jamie Lundy with us on episode one. Hello, guys. How are you How today? Are you, I'm all right, thank you. Amazing. We are going to get into that mind. We're going to get into that person. Find <laughs> out about that character. The creative genius. Absolutely. Uh, you told us something interesting a while ago, and it stuck with me. And it was uh, uh, you told me that the journey creates the person, and that I is a that. great way of putting it. It's so true. Yeah, I've been on a hell of a journey from um, gymnast to model to engineer. Wow. Um, I've um, suffered a lot with mental health right, yeah. um, right. and stuff like that. And I think that's really, uh, you know, sort of driven to the person I am today. Right. Well, let's start talking about that journey then. Well, uh, I was a gymnast from the age of um, about five to, oh, I think it, uh, it was probably about 13, um, maybe a little bit later than that. Uh, but I, I, I competed at a top level, at a British level. Um, I, you know, trained with uh, down at Lillishaw, which is the, the sort of British... Um, Headquarters for okay. gymnastics, but back in the day, you know, there was no um, lottery funding for gymnastics. It wasn't a, a recognised sport in the sense that you could get a career out of it, or you could get paid from it. None of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a bit of a blood and sawdust 
you know, Jim, you fall off the eye bar, you get back on it and do it again. And I think that that competitiveness and that perfection, the resilience, has um, drove me all my life. How crazy is that? And that started at five years of age. Well, I think you know when I when I start talking about the mental health and going back to that. Yeah. Um, when I had therapy, first therapy at the age of twenty-two, they took me back okay. to why I was the way I was, and anything less than a ten in gymnastics is not good enough. Okay, yeah. because it's a perfect ten, mm-hmm. so you're always striving for you perfection. Do in life? For perfection, right? And but I'm, that can be mentally tough, though, as well, can't it? Well, I think if you if you say it to adults now, and yeah. you're trying to change, you know, talk to an adult and things, but you know, it, it's not it doesn't become addictive to be like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but being the age of five and being told that nothing's good enough unless it's a 10 oh. or nothing's good enough if you don't beat the competitor that you're competing against or, you know, that's ingrained in you. Mm. That's the part of your DNA that will never go away. And um, Would you change that if you could or not? Uh, no, I don't think I'd change it. I think um, when I went into the Priory, um, which we'll get on to, they, they diagnosed me with bipolar. Mm-hmm. Um, I said, is it bipolar or is it just me? Yeah, yeah, um, and they couldn't answer that question to the point where they couldn't actually find me a therapist in the whole of the country that could treat me hmm. uh, because I was such a complex person. So oh. that was bizarre. They found two therapists, and and um, they weren't qualified enough, uh, and in the end, they just left me. <laughs> yeah, which is bizarre. But I'll get onto that. But mm. so wow. with gymnastics, I was always very good at sort of sports. Mm-hmm. Um, captain of football teams as I grew older. I sort of left gym because I found. Uh, uh, girls and booze. Yeah. yeah. Did you? Did, do you know what? Let's go back to that as well. Did you? Do you think you were more of a team player, or were you an individual, like kind of sports That's personality at the time? Yeah. Or, 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 we, or did you love being part of that team? Because I'm definitely a team player. Yeah. Uh, but I definitely want to be leading the team. Yeah. Okay. Right. That that was always so. I was always captain of football team. I've always been pretty good with managing people. Yeah. And, and talking to people, uh, probably because I listen, mm-hmm. other than talk all the time. Um, yeah. I think that's a, a, a big trait that I learned as I got older. Um, listening is half the battle. Yeah. You know, if, if you're talking, you're not learning. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. So, so by listening, you know, you learn a lot. And, and I, I always wanted to be the best um, at what I did, the best of me that I could be. Mm-hmm. Um, I had football players that are now uh, actually football coaches. Um, Andy Hughes, who play, he's the manager for Norwich and stuff like that. I've played with all of those guys. Um, hell, you know, amazing talents. They all made the clubs and crew, Alexander and all this sort of stuff. And, and I think, you know, I, I got to a level where um, I got trials for Blackburn Rovers. Yeah. And um, unfortunately, I was diagnosed with um, glandular fever right. when I was about 14. So I'd got into, you know, um, I was great at sports. I'd just won at, like the sportsman of the year. And then I just, I was so tired all the time. Mm. Anyway, I went to the doctors, they diagnosed me with glandular fever. And I was like, oh, like, and I'd had a friend who'd just had it as well. Um, it's all taking the piss out of me saying that I was kissing him, but it's not. <laughs> yeah, they say it's the kissing disease. Don't that they? takes you yeah. back, that, yeah, as you were saying, yeah. glandular fever. I think I've yeah. not heard that word for about twenty years. Yeah, and it was exactly. Like, it used to be quite. Have you been with her because she's got glandular <laughs> fever? It's like a yeah. Yeah. STD of the kissing world when you were like thirteen. <laughs> no, yeah. you know, I mean, if you didn't have it, you were nobody. That's, yeah, nostalgia. Like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I got glandular fever, and then. Um, you know, I took a big chunk of my GCSEs uh, in bed. Yeah. Right. So, you know, there was always that worry that I'd have to repeat the year, um, mm. what was going to do. And obviously then, having glandular fever, I think that... So they say, um, and I've only just learned this, 
um, I watched another podcast the other week, but it, they say that if you have um, like a, an illness or depression or, or whatever, it can take 10 years to come out until crisis point. Okay. So, so if you have an episode in your life, it can take 10 years to actually... Well, the, for the emotion to be released. You know, to be at crisis point where, where okay. you know, you're, you're in the realms of you need help. Is that because okay. you've held it in for so long and you've not Probably. let it out? Or is it Probably. because you've not realised that it is as big a thing? What do you think? I think it's, it's you don't realise it. Mm-hmm. Like even when you've got depression, um, you know, it creeps up and bites you in the arse. You, you don't know until it's too late yeah. almost. Which I've learned a lot over the years of, mm-hmm. of, of you know, um, detecting that and detecting yeah. those uh, traits that are starting or, or whatever okay. it be. Um, but back then, you know, I, I was in bed for 12 months, really, mm-hmm. six to 12 months. Um, and, you know, it's like I say, my girlfriend at the time brought my Sportsman of the Year award round. And, yeah. and, you know, being in bed for six months and, and it's not good for no. a no, no, well, it's not. year old you know, It's not, not that sportsman that you were. I mean, no, you know. And it's, it's also you can't go out, not because you're not allowed, just because you can't. You're physically no in bed all the time. Yeah, mm. yeah. So I think that had a big impact on mm. things going forward. And then from there, um, um, the girlfriend I was with, who actually became my, my wife. Right. Um, Is this somebody that you met at school from yeah, back then? I've yeah, I've been with her since I was 11. Right, crazy. Yeah, and I ended up having five children yeah. uh, wow. with her. But um, yeah, uh, so when I left school... Um, like all of us, you just don't know what you're going to do. Well, let's let's chat about school because you you mentioned obviously uh, sports wise, you wanted to be the best you could be. Yeah. Academically in school, did you want to be the best you could be, or was did it not interest you at the time? No, no. I just wanted to make sure that I got the grades they needed, that just was, in case. I, okay. I was the same. Really. You know, just like if if I wanted to go to uni, I'd got B's and C's, and yeah. I could go to uni. Um, right. You know, there were certain things that I really liked, like artwork. I loved PE, um, but you know things like French and maths. And yeah, it's like oh, no. not for you. At let's that get time. it out of the way. Yeah, yeah, I know yeah. I need to do it, but let's just get it out of the way. Um, so, did you have to? Did you have to study to learn something, or yeah. have you got one of those brains that, like, you know, you read it, you, you, you it kind of sticks. Um, in certain things, I've got a photographic memory. Yeah, where not so much now. Um, with the you know the relapse of the alcoholism and everything else that's yeah. affected memory a lot, but it, that's a part of the, the sort of illness and, and everything. But back in the day, um, yeah, and especially at engineering, I had a real real sharp photographic memory. So I'm not clever. I just and I teach my kids this. Yeah. You don't have to be clever to get through an exam. You just have to remember. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. when you, you find know. that spark. It becomes almost natural the learning because you're learning something that you you want to learn about yeah. and you you give a damn about you yeah. know yeah I think you can absorb a lot I'm I'm a person that learns fast um, I've noticed that I can I can put my hand to a lot of things uh, which is like why I end up going into the brand with confidence because I thought well I could put my hand to you know, change things around yeah make successful things out of whatever yeah I think from a young age I, w- I was like a sponge learning but I wasn't very clever the sense that you know iq levels or an a star student in maths or anything like that um and what with the glandular fever they downgraded my grades anyway so instead of repeating the year whatever i got they downgraded it by one really um and i came out with four b's and five c's so i actually got four a's and four there you go yeah five b's whatever it was which was amazing yeah i thought i'd never get anything like that um but i just learned the technique of um what i had to do 
then mm-hmm. the next day after I finished my exam, I forgot it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, <laughs> let's 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 uh, before we delve into um, relationships and children and getting married, uh, let's talk a little bit more about some of the things that you've done that may have built the person that you are. So, mm-hmm. well, I'd, I'd love to touch on the music and find out a little bit about that. Yeah. I'd love to talk about the modelling as well after that, and, and and where that took you to, and the people that you met, because I believe that that both those two things even though you were really young, uh, are a big part of, of the person that you became creative-wise, yeah. Mm, yeah. So let's start with the music a little bit. So the music was, how did, I know my dad, uh, you know, he bought me my first drum set. Was it always drums or did always you play, drums. yeah, always drums? always drums? My dad plays guitar and played in a lot of bands in the okay. past. Um, and I, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to remember, just one day he said, you know, do you fancy a drum kit? Mm. And I was like, what? And he was like, yeah, well, you know, so we went to the store. Um, oh, what's it called in um, Manchester? There was a small... Uh, Johnny Roadhouse? Johnny Roadhouse. There you go, yeah. yeah. So off we went. and it, it's the only What place. a place that was, yeah. by the way. You what know. a guy, what a man, what yeah. a shop. That it's, was it's, what... It's like, still open now, is it? Uh, is it I, think, I think it might have closed um, down now, but for years and years, it was just on Oxford Road down yeah. there, wasn't it? And it yeah. was like one of the shops... It's got so much history in there. Yeah. If you think about Manchester, the music scene in Manchester, and like, you know, the caliber of people that have been in there yeah. and bought bits and bobs. That place was amazing. Yeah, it was great. So I didn't know anything about the drumming scene or music. Uh, my dad always loved the Beatles. He's always played guitar, and um, I, I just th- I think he thought he might be good at drums. Yeah, mm. you know. Yeah. So uh, he took me into Johnny Roadhouse. We had a look around, and the, you know, he said, well, "We'll get this kit." And I was just like, "Yeah." You know, I must have been I was a twelve, twelve or something like that. Amazing. Maybe eleven, twelve, and then took it home, and my mum was like, "Oh my god, <laughs> why have you bought him?" Yeah, that? yeah. It's like because it. I think what it was is because I was so energetic. Yeah. I'd have to ask my dad. Something to take the energy out. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Imagine and that. because of being a gymnast and stuff like that. Um, yeah, uh, it probably was something to do. I bet it, I bet it was actually a good release because, yeah. Yeah, you know, great. at that stage you probably wasn't carrying like all this frustration and, 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 and you know, yeah, the yeah, mental I mean, health situation hadn't happened then. But yeah, I bet it is the, a great the, relief. The music side of stuff. Um, listening to music anyway it really helped me through when I had glandular fever I still remember the days of listening to albums and mm-hmm. you know uh, Ugly Kid Joe um, you know I was going to say what were you James, listening to yeah, yeah. Oh, my James t-shirt and my Joe Bloggs jeans yeah um, my kickers yes yeah. oh, it takes me back actually uh, yeah. a kicker story um, so my brother's five years older than me right and uh, we'd I'd brought loads of mates around I think my mum and dad had gone out oh, they were staying away and my brother was looking after me and I was like right party at our house yeah and I think we were only about 13, you know, rucksack full of beers. Yeah. But he's coming in, chinking. Yeah. You know, we're going, like, the Nuki Browns yeah, and well, stuff. Yeah, exactly. And then by the end of the night, people are throwing up everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. After, after three cans. So, um, yeah, uh, him and uh, his best mate came in, Colin, and, and so there was a massive party going on. And they were like, oh, my God, you know, mum's going to go mad. And I was like, I'll clean it up, I'll clean it up. She's not back till next week, whatever it be. And uh, with the kicker stories, all my mates had kickers and we yeah. all had the tags. Yeah, tags on big them. time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it was like, how many tags have you got? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you put them on your tag. key rings and stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, at the end of the night, what they'd done is when kids were getting picked up to go home or, and you used to get picked up and pretend that you weren't drunk to your mum and dad, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you're just like, I am mum. Have you had a <laughs> drink? straight like, to bed. No, no, not at all. <laughs> Why are your eyes all glazed? Like, <laughs> so when people were leaving, what they'd done is, they'd, and I'm talking about 40 pairs of kickers, they'd tied them all together 
brilliant. Like to different shoes. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so people were getting picked up from parents, and the parents were having to stand outside for half an hour. What's the so well, the, the kids who were absolutely hammered. <laughs> all the shoes. Right. Brilliant. So that was just a, it just reminded me then of the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the kickers thing, and I've totally forgot where we were. No, up. no, we were. I mean, we went from yeah. there from the music to that, but yeah, like so drumming wise. So, so was it always just a hobby, or did you you joined a band or what? I mean, how did what? Tell me how that journey so happened. They tried to get me into the school um, scene with drumming. Okay, and, and anybody that knows me and knows Kingsway School, um, and they'll know Mister Clough. Uh, God bless him; he's passed away now. Uh, but he was a freak of nature. To yeah, be honest. and I, in a good way. No, no, no. In a bad way. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. And he always wanted me to play the drums. All oh, right. Okay. Come on, play the drums. You'd be really good at it. And I was like, no. Um, so I never played for school, uh, but then that sort of got me into looking for bands. And uh, the first ever band I got with uh, was actually some guys from gymnastics that I'd known. And he was like a lead guitarist, really good. Yeah. And then he brought a friend along. So we had like a three piece. Okay. At probably the age of 13. So about 13, 15, we were playing then, um, oh, uh, Guns N' Roses, Sweet Child of Mine, yes. Paradise City. So I had my drums in the cellar and banging away, banging away. And the whole roof fell in. Oh wow! All the plaster all over the <laughs> oh, cellar. Dear. Like yeah, they were the days of like rock and roll. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like, rah, rah, yeah, rah, rah, rah. yeah. Destruction. The roofs yeah. fell in. <laughs> yeah, you know. we're gonna get signed. The roofs <laughs> fell in. Yeah, and uh, so from that, I always loved drums. And then uh, I got in. So my friend Jeff Fletcher, uh, who was at Kingsway, he was in Northern Uproar. Yeah, yeah, I remember. So, I know so, the man. I know the band. Yeah. yeah so uh, me and Jeff were best friends for a long time. Um, and obviously Leon, uh, Jeff, Keith, um, is it Paul, the guitarist as well? So they yeah. they um, started Northern Uproar and, and they were quite successful. Yeah, they taught they taught with all school. kinds of people. Jeff Lecture, uh, a good friend of mine. Actually, my dad taught Jeff how to play the guitar. Really amazing. So in the conservatory with the drums, mm-hmm. and Jeff couldn't play uh, guitar, so he bought a guitar, and uh, my dad taught him his first chords and mad. So wow. that's that story, little story. That so is then it, yeah. We started a band together. Um, what was it called now? God, I can't remember. Oh my God, Sam will kill me because Sam will probably watch this, the bass player. Yeah. Um, oh God, Sam, sorry. Uh, anyway, so, yeah. yeah. Um, and the lead singer was called Paul and we played a band on the wall. Yeah. The whole thing, we've still got like the tracks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we made a CD. Of, yeah. Uh, wow. Professionally cool. in the studio. Yeah, yeah. Um, Every time I meet you, I find out something <laughs> new about you. It's <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, that, that they were the days. Yeah, so we we played all sorts of places. We played the Roadhouse, played uh, Band on the Wall. We did all, all of that good stuff. And then I sort of finished school, 16, 17, you know, um, we were still playing, but then I can't remember why we, we, we split and broke up. Yeah. I went to college. And this was obviously before before Northern Uproar. They went on to become Northern Uproar. No, there must have been a reason why. This was after Northern Uproar. After Northern Uproar, right, is, okay. Yeah, so we were like, so we, we so Northern Uproar was when we were at school. Um, I think it might have been just after, I can't remember, but then I think they were still at school when they did Northern Yeah, Uproar. yeah. Yeah, and then when they when they, they broke up for whatever reason, we pinched Jeff and... Um, and then Jeff played with us for a while. Right. And then, uh, we always thought Jeff would go back to Northern Uproar, and they did try at one point to restart the band. Okay. Which caused conflict in our band. Yeah, uh, yeah. Band wars. Yeah, band wars, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah band wars. <laughs> um, and, and it never formed, and they never took off again. So yeah. Jeff always stayed with, with us. And then I, I can't remember, like, my memory's shocking now. I mm-hmm. remember, remember 10 years ago. but um, So we, we, we split up and went different ways. Uh, mm-hmm. I went to college. 
uh, Jeff did his own thing and then, you know, the rest is history, really. We never yeah. got back together. We should have got back together. And, you know, there's been speak about... Because uh, Jeff's passed. Just having a jam, yeah, tragically, yeah. Oh, right, oh, right. Um, okay. He did, yeah. yeah. He had a fatal accident in, in Stockport, um, oh, right. you know, which was horrendous. Oh, it was, it was absolutely horrendous. I remember, I remember that. I mean, were you still close at the time that that happened? No. No. You'd, no, you'd no, kind no. of, dri- you'd dri- yeah. you were still friends, but you drifted yeah, apart yeah, a little bit. Yeah. I mean, if I was to phone him and say, do you fancy going for a pint? Yeah. Like, yeah. But, you know, my life took me away from home. Mm. So, I, you know, and we'll go through that, but I really didn't have a lot of friends because those friends that I had were at school. And then every time, you know, I lived away for 20 years. So mm. every village you go to, every town you go to, you're only there for a period of six months, 12 mm-hmm. months, and you're gone again. Yeah. So to get sort of a grounding back, um, you know, where you were, and then obviously my kids have grown up uh, with my wife and then they were creating their own community um, in where we lived in Bramall and then I'd come home every weekend and nobody knew who I was that that led on to that yeah 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 um, so, so that's interesting so you've had fame basically is what I wouldn't what say fame no no. but, but you had fame. people recognising you and uh, maybe a little I bit mean, of yeah, cause that's quite interesting you know because I thought about it that way I, I, I like mm. to do things because I like to do things yeah yeah you know yeah. and, and when, when I do things I like to try and do them to the best of my ability yeah mm. Yeah. So if I know that I can play the drums better, or I can, you know, I, n- I never went to any lessons or anything. It was just all freestyling drumming. Yeah. And then yeah. yeah. Self taught kind yeah, of thing so with help from your dad as well. As who was we went along. Yeah. And I was very passionate about things and started adding to my kit. And then I got yeah. like um, a Pearl BLX kit and then a Pearl Maple kit. And then, you know, all the all the proper symbols. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. And oh. years, like, and I sold, well, I didn't sell that kit. It actually went to Rack and Ruin um, right. in my dad's garage or, or um, the cellar i think it just started to fall to bits so so the drumming and the band and the music um career if you like um that kind of took a took a back seat and then naturally just came to an end um you mentioned you were in a relationship since since school really with someone so you know was that talk me through that 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 early relationship at that point of your life with your with your then girlfriend um well i was just i was with her since i was 11 yeah uh i would be with her for 20 years and and have have five children with her you know she dragged you along to an audition at a model agency in manchester is that right so she wanted to be a model right and i couldn't think of anything worse at the time yeah but i was a boyfriend and i had to go along to support her how old were you at this point 16 right so left school college whatever we were doing and um so she went along to manchester model agency mma in manchester uh, it's just near the town hall, you know, the big town hall. Yes. About around there. Um, so she went in and went up the stairs and I just followed after, you know, and um, I sat in the waiting room. But in the waiting rooms, like, so you've got a waiting room and then you've got, like, you can see the catwalk and then you can see the model agent. Okay. Uh, but I'm just sort of hidden out of view, you know. Yeah. And in them days, you know, I had long blonde hair, a right. bit of a surf look. Surfer dude. dude. Little. You know, <laughs> yeah. Very skinny. Great physique, not now. Uh, yeah. Great physique because I used to do gymnastics. Yeah, and yeah, the drumming. So, and the drumming. Yeah. So, you know, I was obviously in fit condition. And um, so they did all the uh, the castings and everything. And then um, she said to me, are you not coming in? And I went, no. <laughs> no chance. And she was like, no, you need to. Oh, my God. We've found him. And I was like, what's going on? Wow. So at the time, obviously... Um, and you're talking 20 years ago. Is it 20 years ago? It was, well, it was 35, 25, 30 years ago. Wow. Oh my God. <laughs> you wish it was 20 years ago. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I missed a 10. Um, yeah, 
30 years ago, yeah. I've gone red lock. <laughs> it's fine, mate. It's all fine. old, Nigel. Okay, yeah, oh my God. Me, I yeah. 10 years off my life then. Right. Yeah. Anyway. So Just like that. So three zero years ago. Okay. Um, yeah. She said, oh my God, we found him. And I was like, what was she talking about? And But in those days, obviously the... The supermodel for males were yeah. like Marcus Steinberg. Okay. Know, so he was like six foot six, whatever he was, you know, chiseled jaw, gorgeous, you know, yeah. big, strong bloke. Yes. And there's me, five foot eight, blonde hair, blue eyes, you know, and I was like, is this woman insane? And and um, she said, oh my God, you know, we're looking for the new baby face model for campaigns around the world. She knew how to talk to a guy. <laughs> I mean, wow. someone hits you with that, you're like, yeah. even if you're not interested, you kind of go, <laughs> you're there's something there yeah. that, yeah. yeah, you've got me. So yeah, that's how it started. And I, yeah. so she said, um, come and sit in here right, uh, and wait till the end. So I was just like, okay. Uh, unfortunately, my girlfriend didn't get in right. at the time. Yes. Um, uh, they, they sort of said she didn't have the, the right face or features or whatever they were looking for. Yeah. And I ended up being the last one. Wow. And nobody got in. And she said, um, right, we, we need to get you in front of um, this scout. You, you you fit the brief obviously because she's getting briefs from clients yeah yeah we're looking for certain types of models so if I'm going to do a certain photo shoot for instance I want you know I want a guy uh, that's six foot or you know with a 38 inch chest that's what I want yes mm -hmm. so she's obviously got a brief from somebody and that brief was from Versace wow yeah so they were looking for baby face models around the world um, from different you know um, ethnic groups from um, different colors of skin the whole yeah. the whole shebang different hair color mm. different eye color and uh, I must have fitted one of the briefs so, so you, you've pretty much gone from Joe blogs to Versace at the with the click of a finger yeah but I, I didn't I didn't I, at the time the job that she was talking about wasn't Versace she was, okay she was just like she had a brief of the world yeah she was just like um, yeah you fit this brief and you need to come on the books and we need to get you out there so then that's how it started so I I I just sort of went right and, and got involved in it and then I had to go on a photo shoot and then I was like, it's really strange doing photo shoots in front of a, cam a guy with a camera and having mm -hmm. to model and mm -hmm. not, 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 not ever doing it before. Was this all done in-house in Manchester at uh, the uh, MMA, did you say? Yeah. MMA, MMA yeah. was the agency and then the first photo shoot. I actually spoke to the guy, I think last year, was in Bolton. Right. So I had to go to Bolton for the photo shoot and he was the guy that took the pictures. And okay. So, so they create your, your own, your first look uh portfolio sorry yeah. not lookbook that's fashion yeah uh, but your first portfolio okay but you know um there's no digital in them days it was all on film yeah you know so you get the film you get your film strips and you look through your little glass onto the onto your pictures, old school and yeah. then you like pick pick your pictures that you like or the, the agent would pick her pictures she liked and put a little dot on it you'd look through it and think, oh they look mint. Um, and I thought, that, wow, this is amazing. So got portfolio. And then I think it was probably four weeks, maybe a bit longer later. Uh, I had a phone call at home and it was the agent. And she said, um, there's a casting. Um, you've been picked to go to a casting, but it's in Ireland. Right. So this was really the start of me flying around the world for yeah. the next two years. Amazing. So I, so I had to meet a girl called Jennifer Starr in Dublin. So I was like, okay. So I had to get on a plane. My mum and dad were working, so they couldn't come or anything like that. At Sixteen, so I thought I'll, I'll be fine. It's only Ireland. Yeah, jumped on a plane, went to a hotel, uh, met this this girl in a hotel room, and she had a Polaroid camera. Wow, back in the day, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah. she's yeah. like, so then she starts talking about right. We're looking for. Um, I'd already knew this. Sorry, but she's looking for models for for Versace, the Versace campaign. So it's the Versus campaign, which is the younger version of Versace. Right. 
Uh, it's in Boston, Massachusetts, and it's being shot by Bruce Weber. Now, Bruce Weber is one of the best photographers in the world, always wow. has been, still is. And I was just like, this is insane. You know when you think somebody's going to jump out and go, I got you. Yeah, <laughs> from Bolton to yeah. Boston. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Love it. That's amazing. So they took a Polaroid, they did an interview, and then I think it was about a week later, they phoned and said, you've got the job. Wow. Wow. Um, get yourself ready, you go into Boston to shoot with uh, Versace. So I was like, Oh my God, you know, I'd only done one photo shoot. So anyway, um, flew over to Boston and then met the other models. So there was lots of different people. And so there was a girl there and she was quite a bit of a model. So we ended up sitting having breakfast and, and whatnot. And, and she was saying, is this your first job? And I'm like, yeah, this is my first job, you know. Where was she from? Well, it was Stella Tennant. Right, so, blooming heck. So supermodel. <laughs> yeah, supermodel. Well, yeah. Just became, became supermodel. I must say, you know, bless her because she's passed now. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Um, but um, yeah, what, what an amazing person she was. And yeah. She was there in a big slip. And did she put you at ease straight away or was it was well, it quite nerve-wracking at no, the time? No, we were or? all really young kids. Yeah. So nobody knew anybody. We weren't anybody special because we were all so young. Um, it's not like you had social media in them days. Yeah, yeah. It's not like you were on Instagram. Mm -hmm. You know, you were either in the faces of catalogues or in um, magazines or you weren't. You know, so, so building that fame was hard because you had to be in lots and lots of different things. So I didn't know her from Adam. Yeah. I mean, I'd only just gone into the fashion industry. I had no idea who she was. And she was like, yeah, do a bit of work. And then, you know, it's only years later, you look back and go, holy shit, that yeah. was the <laughs> <Okay>. that is <laughs> the supermodel now. You yeah. Know? yeah. Um, but we just hung out as kids. Yeah. And um, so the guy that um, still stuns me today was Ian Summerholder mm -hmm. from Vampire Diaries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was a... The other model. So did you did you have a similar look to him? Because he always had the hair. He wasn't blonde. He was dark yeah, it's hair. All baby face look. Yeah, and, that's I mean, it. Chiselled. You know, yeah, we all get old. And yeah. we all get wrinkles and put a bit of weight on. But yeah, back yeah. in the day, you know, I must have, you know, obviously, you know, fitted. Did you did what? you hang out with him at all? Yeah, did we hung yeah. out. I mean, um, we went. We, we all stayed at the motel together. Um, we all drank rolling rock beer in a jacuzzi. Brilliant. Love uh, it. Then went back to the hotel room and um, uh, had a bit of a smoke listening to Pink Floyd. Amazing. Rock and roll. You know, and it was great. Like, that's that's yeah. just what we did. Like, yeah. We didn't think about um, whether we were famous or anything yeah. like that. No. It was just we were just. On, on holiday, really. So, was there anything in your DNA before that that you did you ever desire to be a model, or was there nope. was there anything at all? Not when nope. you're in music, nope. people taking pictures. No, you nope. you, you completely resisted a, it. That's why I was a drummer. I find it quite fascinating. Yeah, yeah, they sit at the back. You know, I, I didn't want. I just wanted to be. I wanted to enjoy anything that I did. It's it's crazy. Yeah. If but it, you did enjoy the modelling in the end. It, um, you know, the modelling actually created the demons that I had. Oh, okay. In the end. Mm -hmm. That was like an introduction I, to the things that you weren't that, doing that, before. That was the world, though, not the actual um, modelling itself. Is that, is, uh, it's is not, world for, of, it wasn't for me. Right. And, and, and over a period of time, when you start doing it, you're just like, it's not me, this. It's not It's not what I want to do. It's not. So you never enjoyed being in front of no, camera? No, I can't no. work hard at my face. Right. You right. know, I can work hard at other things. Yeah. Um, and, and build a cap me. Mm -hmm. but, you know, it just wasn't for me in the end. I had to do. Do you think there was an element though of being in front of the camera, but actually working for brands like Versace, as you mentioned, and I'm I sure you that, did other campaigns, yeah, and that maybe was your in without you knowing to, to the fashion world. Yeah, I think there's, there's a lot to be said for that because when I became a photographer, I almost knew like how to do photographs, yeah, or how others. to pose a model or um, or whatever. But um, over in Boston, you know, we worked with Bruce Weber. Mm -hmm. uh, we stayed there for two weeks with 
you know, I met Don, Donatella Versace, I met Claudia Schiffer. Amazing. Um, you know, you're talking big, big names yeah, in the fashion yeah. industry. Yeah. And, and I was like, who's Donatella Versace? And she was like, well, it's the sister of Versace. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, Giovanni. And I was like, who's he? And he's like, it's an Italian brand. And I'm like, okay. Um, and she was just walking about. Yeah. Donatella Versace. And, no way. You know, when you're 16, there was a few odd things that happened with stylists and stuff. Yeah. You know, between a 16-year-old boy and them which I'd noticed there was a few photographs. I mean, if you look back at the campaign now, you'll think like, I mean, I'll show you one day, you'll think, mm. oh my God, how old were these kids? And it's like okay. 16, but they're very provocative. Oh, okay. But at the time, that was just the way it was. You know, mm. it's not like they were going to go all over the internet. Yeah. This was for a particular campaign, mm. a particular photographer. There was, there was shots on a beach of a, a girl that, that, you know, was young and mm. she was up going up and down the beach sort of totally naked on the back of a horse. And it's like, the shots were amazing. Yeah. Mm. But that shouldn't have happened, I don't no. think. You know, no. so there was things that went on that you thought, you know, that's a bit odd. A bit odd, yeah. And yeah. but you had no references. You can't go onto the internet and just say, no. like, is this right? Or, no. you know, stick on your Facebook. Mm. Um, yeah, I've just exactly. seen this. It's just you just took it as it was because yeah. you had no, no references it. to mm. it. You know, it's so weird, isn't it? Like th- th- that was then, and this is now, and it's uh, it's weird. The whole yeah, it's it's just it's crazy. I that went to um, straight from. Boston, I went over to New York. Uh, I lived in New York for like four weeks uh, next to the Twin Towers. And was that just shooting again, just doing modelling? Yeah, it was, or was basically that just casting work, going okay. and portfolio out there. Um, I met Stephen Mizell, who at the time was like uh, the other photographer to Bruce Weber. So yeah. Stephen Mizell didn't want to use anybody that Bruce Weber had used, and it was all, oh. all that sort of yeah. stuff. Because photographers back in the day, were, it was that profession. It's not yeah, like yeah. a photographer today where everybody's a photographer, mm-hmm. you know, on a camera. Um, so I went to um, an agency called Sky, um, Green Street in, in um, New York, yeah, uh, just off West Houston Street, and um, so I'm sat there with my agent, very flamboyant agent, and uh, he says, "Have you met Kate?" So I'm like, "Kate," and he's like, "Yeah, Kate, you know, English Kate, <laughs> just Kate, yeah, yeah." And I'm like, "What?" And he's like, "Kate Moss." Kate Moss. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. I'm like, well, no, obviously not. And he yeah. says, She's there, and I just turn around, and the book has had um, lots and lots of cards index cards in the middle with all the models on and you know they'd be on the phones and they'd be turning the tables round and and this girl was sat with there with the back to me and she turned around it was kate moss no way and he'd just take me over and say oh this is jamie from england as yeah. well uh you two both from london right yeah, yeah of course because everybody's from london well, yeah yeah so I, she was like hi how are you and blah, did blah, blah, you did was she all right was, did, did oh, you actually amazing. did you become friends at this no, point no, or no, not no, no. Oh, i oh, bet no. because it i mean for like you know tv um and, and modeling and stuff there's a lot of sitting around there's a lot of loneliness yeah, a lot mm. of boredom yeah mm. so i don't know but i would have thought that if you meet someone who you've got a, the smallest bit of anything in common oh, with yeah. you're I gonna mean, she she was already on her way she was she was start. she was she pretty much superstar yeah, stardom done, at this point like already the obsession campaign right, okay Calvin Klein campaigns and she was already yeah. famous mm. so to meet her at that level straight away i was just like yeah, yeah blown away yeah I don't even know what I said I probably just went hi <laughs> you know, and, then, and then ran off again <laughs> so but I, I, I would meet her again on a job so we, we did work together so wow. um, from there I went, must have gone back to um, Manchester can you remember what you what brand you were working for when you did when, when you worked together can you so, remember so yeah we, I ended up going to Italy and living in Milan for like six months to twelve months uh, t- I think I did two stints, I did a six-month stint, came home, and then did another six-month stint. Crazy journey yeah. so, already. Um, Peeling like, back the onion, like we say, learning so much. Well, at that age, I was like 16, 17, and, and I was living in this shoebox room, probably no bigger than this, and, yeah. and in there I had a bed, you know, a toilet, a sink, 
and no internet, obviously. Mm-hmm. You know, um, no mobile phone. You know, so yeah. everything was by landline phone mm-hmm. or um, oh, what's it called when you do? You know, when you do the callback. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. What's it? Reverse the, yes. yeah, reverse the charges. Yeah, charges, yeah, yeah. But you do it in America in a certain way, and you reverse the charges. That's yeah. the only way to talk to your mum and dad. So I stayed in this place, and um, I just I was so lonely. So mm. my agent said, uh, a guy called Joshua, move in with me. You know, and and so I did. Um, and he was gay and everything, and but you know, so I I, I just moved in, uh, crashed on his floor for all that time. But I preferred to do that than be on my own. Yeah, exactly. You know, all that yeah. time. So, yeah. but he was fantastic, and uh, he took me under his wing and and got jobs and things. And then he phones me one day and says, "Why well, don't phone me?" Uh, we were walking back, and actually, my brother was there at the time. My brother had come out to see me. Right. And I'm walking back to the apartment, and he and he comes out. And he's like, "Where have you been? Where have you been?" And I'm like, "What?" He says, "Oh my god." This, this is insane news. And I was like, what? And he said, W Magazine have booked you um, for a shoot. So W Magazine's like, at the time, I don't know what it is now, but it was the biggest magazine in the world, more so in like known in America and stuff. And um, I was like, right, okay. And he said, and it's been shot by Mario Testino. So I'd worked with Mario Testino before for the Face magazine in London. Right. And he really, so it was part of the London look and the London lads and all that sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. If I show you that photograph, oh my God, you can't put it on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's, it's, it's basically me and drag. Right, for, okay. For the Face magazine. Right. And it nearly made the front cover. It was between the two. So wow. I still got a Polaroid from that shoot with, from Mario Testino in my portfolio with front cover. Oh. Right, written, brilliant. Written wow, on. what an amazing yeah, thing to keep. Cool. I know. And at the time, you don't think about stuff like that, do you? And I, I just thought, oh, I'll take that from my mum and dad you know, to show yeah. them what I look like. I was like, oh my God, my dad will kill me. Yeah. <laughs> and when I went outside, my dad was there and he went, what have you got on your face? <laughs> yeah. I was all you know, up, you know, <laughs> lipstick on. He was like, oh my God, this modelling thing, Jamie. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking, uh, by the way, uh, to all you wonderful people listening right now, there could be some kind of Christmas special where we, we we did bang oh, this no. video up <laughs> yeah. when we get Christmas to grips cards. with the video side of this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm not promising anything, but we'll, we'll work on Jamie. So I came out, got in the car. And anyway, so we go back to Milan and Mario Testino says, you know, uh, want to use Jamie on this shoot. So I was like, right, wow, that's amazing. He says, yeah, he's booked. And he said, the most amazing thing is you're working with Kate Moss and Naomi Campbell. And I'm just like, you're pulling my plonker now. Yeah. Wow. And I'm, he's like, no, I'm not. Wow. But... Pretty much two of the biggest models in at, the world. Yeah. At the, uh, yeah, now still. And yeah. then they were like... Huge. 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 Yeah. Like you couldn't... Have, like God. presidents. Like yeah, God, yeah. Goddesses. Mega stars. Wow. Yeah. Like I couldn't believe it. And he said, but the only problem is, it's in London. And I was like, okay. And he said, and all the flights out of Italy are cancelled. So all the pilots, all the Italian air pilots have gone on strike. Right. It wasn't a plane out of Italy. You couldn't get a plane. So we've got to get to London. But we've got to get to London by 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. How are we going to do that? You're going to have to get on the train... Go on the overnight train yep. from Milan all the way to Switzerland. Jump on a plane from Switzerland and go over to London. Doable, if it's a must. I was 16. Mm. So I turned around to my brother and went, will you come with me? Yeah. <laughs> so my brother said, yeah. So that's what we did. We got our passports. We went straight to the uh, train station. We got on train and we travelled all the way through Europe on an overnight train, which I can't remember how long. It took how about cool. 12 hours or something. Uh, overnight, got to Geneva, uh, City Airport. Uh, got off at the wrong stop initially, jumped back on the train, got off at the airport. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, running to, to get to the plane, jump on this little tiny plane, and I'm like, right, see you, Paul. And he's like, see you, mate. Have a good time. And he jumped on the plane, and I'd gone. And my brother's like, oh, I'm just stuck in Switzerland now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what? But at least my brother's okay. So there's a good story with that, and, and I don't want to bore people. But anyway, so he goes outside, and he's starving, because we've been on this train all night. And, yeah. and he's like, but there's loads of people knocking about. And he's like, uh, what's going on? And it was the Tour de France was on. Right. Yeah. And they said, oh, it's a big bike ride. Yeah. He's like, oh, right. So 
<laughs> he nips into the shop and it's like loads of people. He nips into the shop, gets some bread and some bananas. Yeah. I would never forget this story. And as he comes back out, everybody gone. And he goes, where is everybody? They said, yeah. they've already gone. <laughs> they've already been through. <laughs> so he completely missed the Tour de France. Anyway, I'm on this plane. But he's got his, uh, he's got his banana and his bread. bread. So I'm on this plane. That's flying to London. Get to London City Airport, met by a driver. Right, got to get you in. The, so get in the car, take him to the hotel, get out the car, go through the hotel doors. And who's right in front of me at the reception? Kate Moss. Wow. So she says, oh, hi, you know, blah, blah, blah. How are you? And I was like, oh, you know. And it, I was just so tired. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I'm just so tired. I've been traveling all night. And, you know, and she said, oh, well, let's, we're just about to get breakfast. You know, come up to the room. So the big entourage come up and we went up and left. And, uh, you know, my claim to fame is smoking a cigarette on the same bed as Kate Moss. Yes. That is cool. What a claim to fame yeah. that is. So, so you can smoke in the back in the day. In, yeah, in the hotel. hotel. That's, yeah. that's cool. That and I only started photo. smoking because it was cool. I'd never smoked at all until I started modeling because uh, I was so fit. To be fair, I think if Kate Moss offered anyone a cigarette, like, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah, I mean, I got got into it anyway, through boredom more than anything, just something to do. um, So she sits in the window um, uh, with the the sunlight coming in uh, and getting her makeup done. And I just have this picture of uh, of her being sat in this chair, smoking a cigarette, getting her makeup done, and, um, and says, you know, do you want some food? And I'm like, yeah, and they ordered the food through the telly. And I was, and that like, was at the time. Going, yeah, yeah. Oh my god! No you actually ordered the food through the telly, <laughs> and she's like, "Yeah, yeah," it was because it was a posh hotel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we ordered the food through the telly, and wow. I, can't, I can't remember anything else. Uh, you know, after that, yeah. So that that happened, and I've always had as as I became a photographer when I was older, I always had this uh, vision of me shooting Kate Moss in a window somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With a cigarette, and, and uh, I actually approached her about three or four years ago, and said hello. Uh, I actually emailed her agency and she kindly emailed me back. Um, You know, and I just need to get the brand to that level where... Yeah, yeah. No, do something with us, you know. Definitely. Um, So, yeah, so that was the, the... the, the Milan story to um, to London, and then I did Milan Fashion Week. So I worked with D and G Dolce and Gabbana. Uh, did their their run? They said call them catwalks in the day. Mm-hmm. They call them runways now. So um, yeah, did the runway show with D and G Dolce and Gabbana. They gave me loads of stuff. Literally um, working with the biggest brands yeah, at that time in yeah. the world. Yeah, and it was mind blowing. It was amazing. Yeah. Mm. I mean, it'd be backstage, and there'd be hundreds of models running about, um, completely naked everywhere. You just the way it was. And yeah, yeah. Dressed, you know, just clothes, horses. Yeah. And you're going back yeah. out, and and you know, your hair would be however they put it. You'd hate yeah. it, but you that's you know, you just yeah, go out and do it. it. And then uh, following that, um, Stefania Gabbana said, like, you know, I had all this stuff on, and, he, and I said, can I keep some stuff? And he's like, well, you can keep the shoes, and you can keep that, but don't tell anybody. And I was like, right, so I've nicked these red D&G shoes, which oh, wow. were amazing. Like, um, you would love them. Yeah, I would. Um, red, shiny D&G shoes. Sounds amazing. Um, like a D&G vest um, right. and other bits and bobs. Oh, and a watch, D&G watch that we had on. And then I, I, I was walking around Milan, and I thought, you know, I'll go and check it out in the D&G shop. And I went in, and there's me on the TV, on the no big screen, way. doing the catwalk show. In the and D&G oh shop. Wow. So I thought, I'll have to get something. So I got a D&G shirt, I bought one. It was like yeah. 80 quid, massive amount of money there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I had to phone my mum and say, Mum, I know, like, you know, but can I have this? I've got, because there was no transferring of cash then. No. I had what I had, you know, yeah. cash-wise. So anyway, I remember buying this D&G shirt, and I kept it for years. What was the shirt on. like? It was um, about this big. <laughs> um, it, I can't, it, it's just like a normal white shirt. White shirt, yeah. Uh, but over the years, it went yellow. You yeah. Know, being in storage. You still got thing. it? No, I think it's been thrown from, okay. from... What about the shoes? Have you still got the shoes? Well, the, the shoes is a story because I took the shoes back and my brother was, uh, as I say, five years older than me. Uh, but he was a DJ in Leeds. All right. 
Um, so he was like uh, called the Red Devils, and they became very big actually um, with his mate called Simon. Um, so he nicked them, Did and it. he nightclubbed his ass off in them, moonwalked in them, completely wrecked them. Right. <laughs> so he became known he for would his wear, red shoes. He would wear his leopard skin trousers. <clears throat> You'll hate me for saying this when he sees this. He, he was wearing his leopard skin trousers. He would wear the red D and G shoes, and he'd wear a blue frilly shirt. Fantastic, right? very flamboyant, and, and then like a big top hat on or whatever. And that was his, you know, that's the way Identity. he just normally dressed. That wasn't yeah, even his outfit. Look. Yeah, that wasn't his brand. <laughs> that's that was him. just yeah, the brand. Yeah. Um, so he was into Leeds University at the time. So being sixteen, seventeen, he used to drag me along to nightclubs at right. seventeen years of age, and you know, it, yeah, we had some, yeah, we've had some bonkers times. <laughs> that's where the D and G shoes went. Well, we had a good it's, life. But, <laughs> had a good time. but I've still got the D and G shoes. Mm, right, yeah, okay. I've got a, yeah, got like thirty years. <laughs> and they're absolutely battered. Amazing, but we've still got them. They're still there. Amazing. Yeah. Do you know what? With the music thing, it came to a natural end. What, what I mean, what brought that? What brought this to an end? What do, would so, you say? So the modelling, I think, it was just there's lots of things that happen in the modelling world then mm-hmm. that are not very nice. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, young girls and older men, models and Businessmen, you know, uh, uh, you know like an evil side like, to things. Yeah, I'm not going to mention any names. Yeah, I, I, there's parties that I've been to, and you see things, and you power, know, just, like power uh, misused and people this, manipulated. Yeah, and, yeah, how does this yeah. happen? Yeah, and, and it's the, not making excuses for it, but uh, at all. No. But if the, if what happened then happened now, oh. I mean, there will be serious consequences. Oh, God, yeah, yeah, and that's where you see like documentaries now that come out and. That's what happened. And that mm. was a known stuff. Yeah. That was a known. Well, it wasn't really known. It wasn't it was known within about. the industry. I think. Do you mm. think? Right. Do you yeah. think that this may have had an effect on your mental health? Like without, like you say, sometimes things can be deep rooted and things can happen. And if you're witnessing things that you know aren't right, yeah, at that time of your life, yeah. even if it didn't actually physically happen to yourself, mm. to actually witness things and take them in, that might have an effect on you. I don't know. What yeah, do you think about that? I mean, being seventeen. 16, 17, 18, you know, the, between 16 and 18 is a big difference in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you're growing up as a kid. Massively. Like 12 to 16 is like huge. Well, mm. I mean, 12 to 13 is huge. Yeah. 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 So being 16, leaving school then to a man really 18 mm. is a big jump. And all that time I was doing what I was doing, flying around the world and, and yeah. et cetera, et cetera. So I think when you see things, it's just, and because you didn't have, anybody with you or you couldn't yeah. text anybody this is, you couldn't tell anybody it was just the way it was so you just keep it all inside you and keep it, it inside kind of festers, it's just doesn't it? what it is you yeah. know? and you yeah. don't really speak about it to anybody you don't tell like brush it under the because, carpet because it's like you don't want to affect what's happening around yeah yeah so it, your course, career as you, you do, like at exactly. the time yeah, I mean, if you, you do know, it in a good yeah, position yeah. you don't want to rock the boat do you really no, and, and also you've got agents as well that keep on top of things and tell you that you know oh don't worry about that this happened and da 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 and also, at that time, you, you mentioned a lot of things happen between those th- those years. You, you've probably missed out on a lot of things happening yeah, that yeah. normal people, I'm going to call yeah. us yeah. normal people, because of the life you were yeah. living, you know, yeah. flying from this country to this country, spending a lot of time on your own. At that time, when people are really finding their social self. Yeah, yeah I mean, uh, that, that you've whole missed time, and I know people will find this, when they find out the, the whole story, like, um, I didn't drink at all. I didn't touch a drop of okay. booze at all. It wasn't my thing. Yeah. You know, all right, dabbled a bit at school on the parks and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. While I was travelling away, I don't remember once having a beer. Yeah. Right. You know, it was just, I, you know, I smoked Philip Morris cigarettes. Yeah, yeah. Because 
that was the cool thing to do yeah. because a model that I met once in a cafe smoked him and we had one together and yep. that was me doing that it. Was it. Like, right, I'll, I'll just do that then. <laughs> but I never drank at all. Um, so I think the social side of stuff, you know, you never went out. When you did go out, it was, you were invited out. Yeah. You couldn't just go out anywhere. You know, you had to be at 16, taken somewhere, drove somewhere. Yeah. Uh, there'd be parties of very, very, very famous um, singers. Mm-hmm. You know, back in the day, you'd be, and there'd be like six swimming pools yeah. and everybody'd be there and there'd be like wow. tons of people, big DJs, loads of, you know. It's crazy that you didn't get involved in alcohol at those stages because for me, that I would have thought that that kind of goes was, hand in yeah. hand with yeah. that yeah. lifestyle. Like yeah. it's almost like yeah. rock star status, status. if you yeah. like, yeah. Uh, but without living like a rock star as in like caning, you know, Booze, drugs, all sorts no, of never, stuff that probably it, went on right it, then. It, it, it never, never appealed to me at that point. I just, yeah. it never occurred to start drinking. Mm-hmm. Don't know why. Um, I just never remember doing it. And um, so, yeah, that that was the life of of modelling. And then when I came home, obviously you come you come down with a bit of a crash right. because you've got this glitz and glamour of everything. And then you know the only things you can ever tell people are, are your memories. Mm-hmm. Because, you, you know, you haven't got a mobile phone to take pictures. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can't put anything on Instagram True. and sh- share it. So mm. you've got your memories and you've got your bits and bobs. So everything that I ever did, I always collected. I've got a yeah. collection box of everything. Oh, great. Like train tickets, Brilliant. tickets. Yeah, I love you know, that. Everything. Gig tickets, it. things shown, like that. I've shown the kids now and they're just like, oh my God, this is insane. Mm, really? I've even got the whole casting sheet of uh, the first Versace shoot with Ian Somerhalder, Stella oh, Tennant, cool. Jamie Lundy. You know, love and that. look back on it now and you're like, that's bizarre. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, but I just... Because I just thought, how do I tell everybody what I've done? Mm. So I just collected yeah. everything mm. from yeah. from around the world, brought it back with me. I um, mean, is it still just in a box, or yeah, have you made like a scrapbook? No, or I've always thought I'll, I'll make a scrapbook for. The yeah, you should do. Yeah. You and, should and, do. And put things on a wall or whatever. Yeah, but it just stayed in a box for a long time, and the kids have found it and, and had a good look through it and a good yeah, laugh yeah. At, yeah. at it and stuff like that, which is great. But when I came back from doing all that, obviously come down with a bang, and, and then. Um, me and my girlfriend at the time, I'd lived away for so long. So much had happened. Um, Did that put a lot of stress on the relationship? Well, we, yeah, we were on the rocks. And, and it was, I think it was, I always say that it was this. Um, well, the, you know, my parents probably disagree or my ex-wife would disagree. But we went on holiday um, to patch things up. Mum and dad paid for us to go away on holiday. We went away. Um, and then two weeks after we, well, when we came back, um, she came back pregnant. And at 19, we were 19 then. Um, and between then, I've been to college and done GMVQs, which yeah. was a waste of time. Um, then I'd done an ONC, which was, you know, in, in mechanical engineering. So okay. I thought I came back from um, the modelling stuff and got straight sort of working for my dad again. Because I actually went to, I forgot we've missed this out. But was it was it working? So was that like working at the same time with the modelling thing? The, yeah, every now and back, again, I'd you'd work, stop doing yeah, that and yeah. go and do well, a job and I'd, then I'd fly work, back. and I'd worked for my dad since I was 14. So I'd go and um, tidy the offices, clean the offices, clean the shit house clean the shop floors, fabrication for floors. And that was my job. And he paid me £3.50 an hour to do that. And I found the uh, payslip. We just laugh at it. £3.50 an hour. Three pound. Yeah, that was a lot in them days. But like, I mean, if yeah, you were getting paid £3.50 for doing that, and then you were going doing some of these model shoots, I don't want to be too nosy, but what kind of money were you getting then? So you never saw any money. It was all, um, what what they do is they, they pay for everything for you. Right. So they pay for your flight, they pay for the accommodation where you okay. stay. Um, so that's why I ended up going and staying with Josh to try and get some cash back. But, but every Even when you're working for your, your yeah, D&Gs and your always, Versace? Yeah, and lads, lads back in them days, especially me, we were like just clothes horses, really. We, we weren't the, the, st- the stardom of the supermodels. Okay. Um, and I'm talking the supermodels of like Kate Moss and um, Claudia Schiffer, uh, 
you know, all that sort of range. Mm. Men didn't really make any money whatsoever. Really? So anything that we did make would just go off the debt. So you just, you, you might make 600 um, lira. So, so what's 600, it'd be like 6 million lira. Yeah. It was probably yeah. about 600 quid. Okay. Uh, I, I can't do the math, you know, but yeah, something yeah. like that, or 60 million lira. <laughs> Um, because it was the, d- the days before euros and yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, you, you'd do it or you get paid in dollars, but you would never get any cash. So it, surely you know. that had um, an influence on on your you know it, wanting it had, to do what actually enjoyment for it, doing something because you said you didn't you didn't it not had, necessarily want to do it. Yeah, it had an influence with my dad at the end saying enough's enough, like because we're we're paying all the time and yeah. you're not earning anything and to do it again and I was just like yeah. You know, let's. I want to pay a job now. Yeah, like yeah. Type of thing. I just said I'd had enough. I, okay. I, I just, I just mm. for some reason, it's probably depression to be honest. Looking right. back on it, but I was just like, I've had enough. I don't want to do it anymore. Mm. Yeah. I've done it. It's just not me. Two years, you lived mm. away on your own. Mm. You know, and mm. you didn't have the likes of talking to somebody on a text or mm-hmm. keeping in touch with people. You were yeah. just on your own. You had no phone in your room that you could just phone people. So it was a completely different, you know, uh, world back then. So probably I, I had those deep rooted and. Y- you know, when you're out, it's like you can't communicate with people and it's like you couldn't bring things back to show people. You just had the bits that you had, your memories. Yeah. And then photographs that came out in magazines and you were like, oh, that's what I did. But the, the magazine came out six months to 12 months later. Wow. So it's like, it's a very slow process mm-hmm. um, back then. And when I came back, my dad was like, you know, enough's enough. So I said, right. And then we went on holiday and then obviously um, uh, my ex-wife became she uh, pregnant we became pregnant I should say and then um, we were sat in a room and they said you know what you're going to do about it uh, and I was like what do you mean and they were like we've well, got options and I was like no 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 I'll go down that route I said if I've got us in this situation then I'll be a man and look after the situation mm-hmm. so we had our first son Taylor and she was up she was up for that as well as yeah, both yeah, of your yeah, decisions of yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, but you know at the time when people say you know you're really really young and I was just like we're not mm. 20 years of age what do you mean I'm really young yeah and you're like you look back at 19 year olds now and you're like oh my god I was yeah no, totally <laughs> you know but you, you're not going to get told you know at that no. age you, you know everything don't you so yeah. I was like um so we had our first and then I had to get like a job so um that started the the job working with family business went into the family business and then I ended up uh, working you're not working for yourself anymore you, you're I'm working, working for, for my dad for, yeah no no sorry I'm saying you're not earning money for yourself anymore you're earning it for oh, for, for, a for a family now and yeah. so you've you, your outlook yeah, changes l- l- little yeah. house Definitely. um and then I was like, right, I need to work. So I was really into doing mechanical engineering and I also liked like, the electronic side of what we're doing because we used to build chemical plants as a family business. We yep. went into the rail, but initially we did petrochem and chemical plants. So my job was to travel to Chesterfield every day for two years, which was a two-hour journey there and a two-hour journey back. Um, work for eight to ten hours while I was in Chesterfield um, doing this job that I wanted to do. And it was basically electronics. It was basically configuring... Um, chemical plants via a touch touch screen like oh, right. you know um brand new technology ahead of its right time yeah touch yeah. screen screen and you press buttons and it run the plant mm-hmm. um, so we were building two plants out there one was a permethrin plant that did perm solutions for her and one was a pilot plant that had a hydrogenation unit that had walls that were like two meters thick just in case it blew up wow. you know uh, in the middle of yorkshire so my job was to help configure the DCS system that ran those plants um, and then go out and, and fit it after after we programmed it. Mm. So, But every day, I mean, I love my boss, uh, Brian Langley, um, worked for my dad. Uh, he was a great boss as well, but I still had to travel. And, and of course, across to Chesterfield, like at winter, yeah. 
you know, and I had a beetle, <laughs> <laughs> you know, drop top beetle. Where yeah. When you get in it, you know, it's everything's freezing, freezing. cold. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. Warm up. <laughs> the windscreen wipers do absolutely <laughs> warm. <laughs> the windscreen, you know, the, w- the windscreen won't, you know, and you, you, you wipe it and then you go, why did I wipe that when the sun comes out and you've got white marks on <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So everyone had a rag inside <laughs> yeah, the car yeah. in them days, <laughs> didn't they? Yeah. yeah. So it was like, <laughs> Travelling across there, you know, the crashes you'd see, and, and then it was late at night, and but I just did it because I had a family. It was yeah. just like, I've got to do it, you know, yeah. so I just did it, and then uh, became good at that. Uh, and I then, can tell, like, you, already that your enjoyment for that was more than it was for doing the modelling, sure. even though the modelling sounds so much more glamorous and fun, and, yeah. you know, as a listener, yeah. you'd be thinking, yeah. how how can this be? But I automatically, mm. I can see your passion, passion is, is raised massively for this yeah. than it, it yeah. was for the modelling. Yeah, yeah, I mean, um, yeah, for the first two or three years, I got into the instrumentation side of it, which led on to me going to Manchester University on a day release to do a degree in mechatronics. But by that time, you know, we'd had, um, I think it was... Maybe 1998 was the first time, um, well, Taylor was born in 2000, Layla was born. And then that's the journey at that point was my first breakdown mm. at 22. So that's when, um, you know, my ex-wife uh, had called my dad and he came around and I was found in the kitchen with a knife and totally so drunk. Just um, for my, and for the listener, if anybody's not familiar with like what a breakdown actually is, like what, what is the best way to describe It's just, it's just when you reach crisis point where, right. where you don't want to be here anymore. Right, okay. So, okay. Th- what, what, you know, they say that you want to kill yourself, but you don't want to die. Oh, right. right. Yeah. Wow, so I've never heard that explained that way. That's so interesting. Yeah, so everybody gets to the point where it's better off not being here for everybody else. Right. It's better off I'm not here. Because I'm an inconvenience and I'm, yeah. nothing's yeah. working yeah. and yeah. I can't turn. Yeah. There's nowhere and else to turn. Yeah, but <clears throat> you don't actually want to die. Right. You want to get out of whatever that situation is. And, it, and it's, you know, you can't describe that situation until mm. you're in it. And sometimes I forget how well I've done coming through lots of stuff. Right. And then I see people that need help and I'm like, wow. So is that one situation a number of different things? I, I can only imagine that it must be a combination of things that you're not happy with in your life. It's, um, it's a complex thing. Yeah. You know, mental health is a complex thing and that's why I'm so open about it because yeah. it's not, you know, it needs, it's, it's taboo subject of yeah. men and mental health. And yeah. I think, you know, I know seven men this year that have committed suicide. Mm. No, of, sorry, not, I know them. Um, my wife now, her friends, some of them, seven men have killed themselves this year. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's getting crazy. worse. It's a know? pandemic and, and in itself. There's a, there's a lot to do with social media about right. that and, and, and stuff like that. But yeah, you know, um, where we So you, you hit rock bottom, panic, uh, crisis point, as you said, that you it found... Was the f- it was the first time I had therapy in the Priory. Right. So I, you know, I didn't know what was wrong. I'd, I'd never felt like this before. Mm. Uh, I went to the GP and they diagnosed me with, with clinical depression. Right. Uh, and then I went for therapy at the Priory, like once every two weeks or once a week or whatever. Yeah. And then in the end, um, they still couldn't get to the root of the problem. And I ended up having hypnosis. Um, mm-hmm. So they did hypnotherapy um, on the, like the 12th session or something. And then it all came out. Oh, right. So but, that really worked then? The but I was, hip- I was hyp- hypnotized, yeah. Right. And um, talk me through that then as well, hypnotized. I mean, 
did did it work straight away for you the first time they hypnotised you? Did you just fall under, or did you? Was there any element of of you which thought, "Why am I doing this? This like is skeptical. weird. I don't really, yeah, like this isn't me. Yeah. I don't need this." Or I never thought it'd work. Put it that way. Yeah, I just like. So you were skeptical, but at oh, the same yeah, time, you, you were were you resisting it, or were you like, you know, I've got to give this no, a no, try? No, no, no. I mean, open minded to it. You know, you've done eleven sessions up to that point. Yeah. So, so you know, they teach you. I know. I need. I need more therapy now because, like. Mm. It's like the Americans use therapy as like, oh, I'm going like to Everyone has therapy, mm. like going to the gym. We, we still yeah. find it as like... Someone said to me recently, like, everyone should have a therapist. Oh, and, yeah, because uh, it's, it's teaching you the tools of, of relaxation, right. meditation, to be able to relax your body, clear your mind. I mean, well, that's, I think that's it's right, all because otherwise you're, you're left to your own devices. Like, we, yeah. we, we, we have to discover these things for ourselves, but it makes sense to have somebody help you with find those tools because exactly. I mean, if you, you can't find them yourself then well, there's no guidebook is there there's no well, manual well, you, I mean there's, there's, you can go on the internet today again mm. but like but everybody's different back in they? the day I'd have to go to a library to find out what was all yeah. and then so the hypnotherapy really helped and then at the end of it you know it, it essentially came down to me being trapped in a room in in, um, in London with a photographer yeah. a, male, a male photographer oh, right. um, and that's what came out so it was you know and I hear stories in the press and everything now you know, I'm never going to say anything. Um, but it came down to that. And I was trapped in that room. And I've been trapped in that room since it happened. I just didn't know it. So subconsciously. Oh, okay. So this is something, This is the trauma was being trapped yeah. in the room. Yeah. Ah, okay. Yes, yeah, so the trauma was being trapped in the room. So but, you were still... But I'd oh, buried no. that. Oh, no way. Yeah, you buried... You, you so know, you had to be freed from that, si emotionally yeah, freed from that I situation. I didn't even know it was that. No. I didn't even know it was that. So I was obviously buried wow. it that deep that I just forgot about it. Uh, and then obviously when you think back to it now and you think about, oh my God, like, how did I fall for that? Right. Um, but in the day, it was just a compliment to be, yeah. to, to do personal portfolio for some of the best photographers in the world, you know, um, to go back to a ho hotel and just do some, some shots. Mm -hmm. um, but it was a bit more than that. And I got right. trapped in that room. Right, you know? right. And, yeah. And, yeah. and I ended up bursting into tears and, um, and that type of thing. Okay. So mm -hmm. it was very distressing, distressing for a young kid to do to do that. And then when I addressed those issues, you know, I'd already been suffering from clinical depression. So once you've had depression, it's very difficult to get rid of it. You know, right. it doesn't just disappear; it can come back, and it can. You know, it's an illness that sort of sticks with you for life, really. Yeah. And I may have been born with it. You know, I'm, there's no blame here. It's just no. that sometimes trauma can happen to people, and nothing happens, and they just get on with their daily lives, and then. Mm -hmm. Trauma can ha happen to certain individuals and, and, you know, you get affected by mental health because, you know, mental health does not discriminate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Anybody can get mental health. Yeah. Apart mm -hmm. from my dad. Absolutely. Because my dad is like... Apart <laughs> yeah. from my dad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he just doesn't understand. He's like, you know, a rock. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And, he, and he's always struggled with it. He's a lot better now with understanding it and he's a lot more, um, you know, empathetic okay. and stuff. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's a bit of a generational thing? And I mean... Nowadays, the, even the gen, you know the the generation bit below ourselves, they kind of they kind of accept it a lot more and and, and talk to each other a lot more and yeah. you know they they almost just just chatting to but, your but friends I think is my, is mine in your era though yeah mm. you, you you kind of kept it bottled up until yeah. it reached boiling point and yeah, then but nobody trained us or brought us into the world no how fast the world is today yeah yeah so like the internet. Um, you know, everything's so quick. Mm. You know, people, if they want, you can get hold of you straight away. You know, you can't hide anywhere. It's, it, yeah. it's, it, it's continuously like 
on top of you mm. all the time. And yeah. we've had to learn that. No, big the time. The kids of today are born into it. I also, cool you know, thing, you I, know, also, so. I also think, like, as well, I mean, sorry to bring my wife into this as well, but you, and it is quite a personal thing, but um, the generation above, my parents' generation, when they had children... That you know, my mum would just stay off, and my uh, and 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 she'd become an amazing mum for us, and she'd do all the jobs in the house and everything that needed doing, which I'm not saying should happen at all, yeah. but what, a, but, but, it, it but it, but it allowed my my dad to go off and work and put all his energy into that and raising money for everyone. Nowadays, rightfully so, um, you know, men and women in the relationship go out and work their asses off, yeah. uh, but you've still when you bring a child into the mix, you it can be so stressful being a mum being a dad yep, yep. juggling that with learn, learn, helping them with their education um, also then having a bit of a social release yourself and working yeah. and getting all the jobs done in the house and everything yeah. it's very very hard to spin all those plates and not go through any kind of um, of, of, of almost little yeah. mini breakdown well, well I, I yeah. always describe it as holding your breath so mm. I always describe like therapy and is exhaling. Yeah. Right. Um, you just your emotions your breathe. You're just holding your breath for, for all that time. Yeah. Because you're not... And, and talking. True. So by talking, you're exhaling. So yeah. If you're talking to people about your issues that you've got mm. or the way you're feeling, that's a breath out. Mm. Yeah. And that's why people always feel better once they've talked about stuff or yeah. they go to a therapist or they talk to the mate or... But men are not very good at doing that. Us no. men are very good at like, it's fine. But yeah. I'm fine. Yeah, yeah. It's fine. A little yeah. niggle, you just you just brush it under the table and you think everything's all right and you crack on and yeah, sometimes you don't deal well, with stuff yeah, it and up. it becomes yeah. a, a, a big thing. So, and so going back to what Ollie said before, he was like, what what caused it? It's like, mm. it, 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 couldn't, you know, it doesn't have to be one thing. Like, yeah. It can be loads of like loads the of loads overwhelm of things of lots. That, that builds up into like one thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, yeah. from my point of view, you know, I've, Wanted to kill myself four times. Okay, that I remember in my life since when the last seven is that years. The same no. as what you described before, where you said you wanted to, but you just actually a, didn't want to. You're just at crisis point again. Right, it's, yeah. You know, you're not addressing. You're not addressing the problem. You're just you just wanting to escape it all the time. It. Right, so okay. when I went away engineering and then worked in London and then alcohol became you know a really good mate of mine because mm -hmm. um, it's the only mate I had. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and then you know when you're in that state of depression, you know it is. Um, self-medication yes. mm -hmm. and that's yeah. all it was for me I became addicted to the booze because it mm. made me feel better yeah yeah. you know and, and there's lots of different types oh by the way everybody I'm a recovering alcoholic yeah yeah well let's just let's, yeah, let's, let's, let's just let's not just skirt over that if that's okay I know it yeah, might yeah, be a, yeah, a, a, yeah. A, a, a difficult thing to talk about but you knew you were drinking too much yeah. um I, 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 again we, we we've spoke off the pod about this and yeah. um you you were drinking a few drinks of an evening and that quickly turned to kind of six then ten yeah. then up to like 20 cans a night yeah. just to stop that noise that was going on stop that yeah, feeling yeah. of depression yeah. Yeah. and just try and make everything I okay think, i think in the end it wasn't even the depression it's just what i did yeah Okay. I don't know why, you know, it was just what I did. And and I think looking back on it, you know, I remember getting the first house and my mate coming around with four cans and it didn't even bother me. Yeah. We'd sit there playing the computer and 
play GoldenEye. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yes. Nintendo 64. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Uh, and there was another one called Turok. Yeah, okay. You, it was a dinosaur one where you didn't play that as much. GoldenEye, though, that was yeah, like, yeah. you just oh, saw yeah. the hands and the gun and you'd pop your head around the corner. But what you had to do is... <laughs> Mint game. We got a lever arch file and we had a telly on the, um, on the dining room table. Okay. And we had the Nintendo 64 and I sat on one side of the file yeah 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 he sat on the other side of the file right brilliant so see each other I mean, in this yeah. game called turok right yeah. great and we just lived doing that because that we had, had you know um, baby upstairs and you know the girls were in the front room and yeah that's what we did but my mate always had four cans with him every time he came around and yeah. I, it never really entertained me and then um and i'm obviously not blaming him whatsoever with this but like i would then think oh well i'll get four cans yeah yeah right and then probably that with everything that had coupled with what had gone on, I started having four cans a night, and yeah. um, and that then escalated till when I was like forty, having twenty cans a night. Yeah. So it, 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 was yeah. it that the tolerance levels changed, maybe, and you needed more? Yeah, more to know, hit I think, that. I think I went on and off. Uh, I'm an addicted person. Mm-hmm. I've got addictive personality. Is it just beer or spirits as well? No, just just, yeah, just the beer. Yeah. Fosters. <sighs> Could have picked right. a better one, couldn't I? But <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, it was just Fosters. Right. And, um, okay. No spirits, never touched. Um, if I ever went out and did, um, oh, what, what are they called with the Red Bull? Uh, Jaeger bomb. Right, and I'd know that I would never remember the rest of my night. Yeah, one of those. Yeah, but that's did you like, have a blackout? Oh, or yeah. was it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I've woke up, you I've just woke up in places like I woke up at Stansted Airport once and like. How the hell have I got here? <laughs> Jesus. Wow. Um, that's that's I've woke up in a bedroom uh, fully clothed in a suit. Yeah. Uh, it was like a four, like, of course, a bedroom's got four walls, but yeah, yeah. it was so small and it was like flowery wallpaper. And I just woke up and went, Where the hell, how the hell have I got here? Scary, yeah, yeah. Um, and I traveled like 40 minutes out of London. I had no idea how I'd done that. Or, but they were like, the days where I was like, I'm going to have to get my shit together here. Because right. did, you, did you just, again, sorry if this is too personal, but what were you like to live with when you, when you were going through this stage? Um, Especially with kids and very, your missus and everything. Every stage thing, it's like uh, I went through a period of in about 2002. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I didn't drink because we worked in the rail. So I, yep. I transitioned them from work uh, into railways about the year 2000. So you were never drinking at work? Oh, no, 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 it's nothing like that. Yeah. Just at night time. Yeah. Um, so in the year 2000, 2002, I was involved in the railway and um, designing and installing the new signal gantries for West Coast. Yeah. Which eventually Richard Bronson would run his trains at 125 mile an hour. Yeah, yeah. And I spent the rest of the, my career doing that. Amazing. Pretty much from Manchester to London. Yeah. Um, so I noticed there was an issue when, because the night before, so if I was working a Saturday night and with uh, Lundy's where we used to work, um, which is the family-run business, we used to design and in, you know make the signal gantry in the workshops. Yeah, and then at weekend we offered our services to go out and install it. Yeah, and that's what I essentially started <laughs> off in the rail doing. So I, we yeah. would make them. I would be a part of the design team. I would help design it to the tracks, the layout, make the signal gantry, go out at the weekends and help. At the time, a, a company called Carillion like install these gantries. So on the Friday night, I would never have a drink. Mm-hmm. Because I was working the Saturday night, yeah. because it, it, you know um, a pint lasts two hours in your system. So it, you know, these people say like you, you pass a breath test or whatever. If you imagine like to get out of your system, one pint, depending on the person you are, takes two hours to get out. So if you have like yeah. four pints, that's eight. Mm-hmm. If you have six pints night before, that's twelve. Yeah. You know, but tolerance levels, you know, change. So I would never drink the Friday night, and yeah. I really found that difficult. Uh, yeah. yeah, I was yeah. like, oh, I didn't know what to do with myself. I was like. Mm-hmm. 
And there's a lot of people today, you know, that go out and get a bottle of wine on the way home from work mm-hmm. and say, oh, couldn't, couldn't not have a glass of wine at night. Mm-hmm. You know, so just because I said I'm an alcoholic at the time, yeah. but I'm a recovering alcoholic now, yeah. there's plenty of alcoholics out there. Absolutely. Yeah, or, yeah. Or, or alcoholically drink. Yes. yes. Yeah. yes. So, and that's like going and getting a bottle of wine every night, not thinking anything of it, a yeah, couple yeah. of glasses of wine. No, massively. Yeah. And then yeah. if you said to yeah. somebody, don't do that tonight, they'd be like, what do you mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's addiction at the end of the day. I, yeah, I, yeah. I can't not have a glass of wine mm. to go to bed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's part of people's routines sometimes. Yeah, and it's, yeah. it's, yeah. it's, it is, it's like, I can't go to sleep without this. I can't switch off without yeah. this. It's I not, guess. and it's, you know, it's not always a huge amount but it's 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 every night it's regular yeah and i think habit. that was the first time i'd noticed that you know when i was working and stuff it didn't bother me mm-hmm. but when you sat in front of the telly and it's your routine and you're just sort of like oh i can't have a drink like watching yeah i'm watching the ufc or something whatever yeah, not, yeah. Not, you know and that was sort of the and that my my 20 year old daughter now was about two then yeah and that's when is she what's is she your third second she's the middle one middle third, one third, yeah. so yeah. so at, th- at that time that was where I started working away a lot mm. from home mm-hmm. um, because the railway got further and further away from our house yeah, as yeah. we were building it so I just went then from Manchester to London and just did my thing instead of doing a daily commute you're actually living uh, yeah I did, was I, this, where was this was this there was a daily Bristol? commute to like Stafford St- or Stafford back, right about an hour and a half you know right. and I, I could manage that but then. That was like to the, the depot at Stafford and then yep. obviously got 20 mile past that. Okay. Then the railway that we were working on. We'd get further and further away and, you know, at the night times when you were driving home and you start falling asleep at the wheel, I, I was just like, I can't keep doing this. It was no. like every single day. No, no, it's dangerous. And yeah. then it's like, you know, I think I'm sure everybody's done it, but, you know, and it's not the right thing to do at all. But when you, you're driving along and then you wake up and you think, oh, I've just got completely, yeah. I've yeah. just drove the last 10 yeah. minutes. Scary. You know, it's scary. And, you yeah. know, window down. Um, I, you know, I'd give up smoking by then, but my habit still is today is to have my window down. Yeah, like, because when I used to smoke, it, I still drive. I don't smoke now, but I still have mm-hmm. the window down, yeah. and that was like to keep you awake. Yeah, you know, so you didn't crash. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the end, I just said it's too much. Of this I can't keep doing this. It's a very high profile job, very yeah. stressful job. Mm-hmm. So I then is ended up then staying away. Yeah. Um, and that staying away, obviously, with being one of the bosses and then not going for pints with the lads at night time because yep. you're not supposed to be like drinking or anything. I just, I didn't, I, I wasn't drinking. Nope. I would, I was, I was great. You know, I was, I, yep. was, I was getting to a point where in 2004, um, when we were working for my dad, mm-hmm. uh, the business wasn't doing great because of a job that we'd built in Teesside. So we lived in Teesside and Seaton Crew, not the best area to stay in next to Hartlepool. Yeah, yeah. Um, Again, that was a very lonely experience. But um, in about 2004, the company was, was sort of struggling and my dad um, was given the opportunity to take on a caravan business that did all the internal boardings for caravans. Right. Uh, it's now Europe's biggest company for doing Still that. your dad's? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, brilliant. Wow. So he did very well at that. But at the time, he sort of said, you know, I'm going to step away from this. And, yep. and if you lads can turn things around, um, then, you know, the business will go on. So me and my brother had made a pact with each other that um, he would manufacture and design most of the signal gantries and everything that we were doing at the time, I go and put them in. Mm-hmm. And we sort of stuck to that plan for the next 15 years. I think the Lundies were, were you know, we were all great at what we did. There was five of us in okay. the business. And we were all so hard working, family business. Yeah, I just did the construction side of it. Paul did the manufacturing side of it. My dad won the company. Two uncles, um, my uncle John was project director. My uncle Tony was uh, in charge of all the finance and the accounts. Uh-huh. So we were a hard working family business. Yep. Um, and when we went right Right down to, you know, running 200 men, right down to like 
just us. It was shit or bust. And, and so in 2004, we started looking at other things that we could make and design in the railway as well. Yeah. And the first thing was Alderley Edge. There's got a signal post on Alderley Edge. And I remember um, me and my brother going down to the train station and taking photographs. And at the time, obviously, the Twin Towers had happened, you know, not, not too late. And we got the cameras out and taking pictures of signal posts. And <laughs> we got booted off, nearly arrested. Yeah, and, and that's our journey, mine and Paul's journey of starting, you know, doing other things in the railway that yeah. were called grandfather rights. Okay. So grandfather rights, it was rail track at the time, meant that, you know, Balfour Beatties did everything. And that was the way it was, or, you know, that's the way it's always been. And I was just like, why? It doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. You know, why don't you do it this way? Why don't you do it that way? Or bring a bit, bit of innovation into it, or, you know. Yeah. And that's what essentially me and Paul did. We we created, designed new things and changed the railway. I pioneered a lot of things. I pioneered, um, you know, installing. So OLE structures are the, the silver structures that go with the railway and hold the, the uh, wires up that make the train go. Yeah. So the pantograph of the train touches that and, and goes. So all the piling works that did, they bring normally bring in a big train and that puts it in, but it was always breaking down. So I was the one of the first project managers to bring in a smaller machine and pile 10 in a night shift. Uh, that's completely transformed the whole of the railway system now. Yeah. Wow. You know, looking 15 years ago, it was brand new. Now, everywhere you look, everybody's got a Movax unit, a Fambo hammer, you know, whatever it be, everybody's doing the same thing. So we did pioneer a lot of stuff along, wow, along cool. our, our, our journey as well. And then, um, you know, after it all, I, I ended up doing Milton Keynes re-signalling, mm-hmm. uh, then went into London, did Thameslink re-signalling, London Bridge re-signalling, got awards for it, uh, for the engineering work that we did, because it was on top of viaducts. So I got put structures on top of viaducts over an 11-track railway, mm. right outside the Shard building, mm-hmm. um, foundations that were like that far away, from, you know, from the, the edge of the viaduct. So we just didn't want a Coronation Street. Do you remember the tram yeah, in Coronation yeah, Street? Yeah. So, so all that was very stressful work because it had to go off in a certain amount of time for the train to run, you know, and you had wet concrete and then you'd just pray that it'd go off in no time way. and then you had to do cube tests to make sure it was strong enough before the trains went over. Yeah. Very pressured. Again, again though, as well, you were the best at doing what you were doing at the time and that keeps running through yeah, all yeah. this. Yeah, uh, I was a leading expert yeah. at that point. And yeah. then from that point, we went over to Reading Station and we, we helped build Reading Station and the signalling, the electrification. That, for me, at Reading, you know, London swallowed me. Yeah. You know, being an addict, it was like, that just poked the bear, really. And, 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 and then as well, missing, missing out on a lot of, a lot of your children, you know, the growing oh, yeah, up of your totally kids, yeah. the family life at home. Mm. It's all right bringing in this cash and providing and working your ass off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But to miss out on that whilst having an addiction um, and, and, and chuck loneliness into the mix, and, yeah. and, and that is not a good recipe. No, I missed 12, I missed 12 Christmas days with my kids. No. Yeah, because the railway shuts between New Year's Eve and yeah. New Year's Day. Yeah. And that's when everybody does the work. So for 12 years, mm. 12 Christmases, I missed the kids opening the presents. And that's what, that's the you best know. time to be with your kids. A dad family. and with your kids. Yeah. Those are the New, magical moments. New Year's Eve we worked, New Year's Day we worked. And, you know, my kids would open the presents without me. They would phone um, later on in life because we didn't have mobiles like till later. But then the, yeah. the youngest ones would phone and say, um, you know, Merry Christmas, Dad. No, but then presents. again, oh, being your wife, you aren't there for those key moments. Yeah. I'm not going to be happy with that. We're going to have problems and and, 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 and chuck that onto the top. The pressure must have been there, there unbearable. Always, there was always an end goal, and the end goal was to sell the business when we got yeah. the brand. So it was like I was always saying to my old fella, you know, we need to brand it. And he, was like, he didn't believe in brands. He was like, you know, I don't 
don't believe in all that, you know, it is what it is. It's like, we'll get the work. And I said, no, we need to brand it. We need to start doing websites. We need to start doing a LinkedIn page, you know, yeah. stuff like that, which they do really well now. Mm. But I created the Lundy's first website, for instance, yeah. you know, and started getting the, the company out there and brand. And then um, about seven years ago, about five years ago now, uh, we sold it um, for a substantial amount, a lot, right. you know, a lot of money and, and which helped retire my dad. Yeah. yeah. Retired me, retired that's Paul, awesome. and that's how I ended up going into the brand. Yeah, which Probably. is yeah. which is amazing and brings us to another journey, uh, another story in this journey. Yeah. Um, so, so, so that 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 recipe, um, all those things added together, is not a good mix. It's not a good mix at all uh, for you, how you felt, and your relationship at the time. Yeah, and um, I mean, I was addicted to the gym. Yeah. So people say, well, how are you an alcoholic if you're addicted to the gym? Because okay. I do the gym for six months and then I drink for six months and then I do the gym for six months. And then, so it was oh. always yo-yoing. No way. So that's not why. So you would not balanced. drink and just no, gym no. for six months and then you would but go. I'd, I'd, but I had extreme gym. So I would eat extreme. I yeah. would clean extreme. I would mm. like on chicken and brown rice, uh, broccoli, you know, all the proper weightlifting stuff i get all the gear i get whey protein I, I, i'd know the exercises to do so even now today i've only just started going back to the gym after seven years of not going to the gym because yep. in my recovery they told me that all my addictions i have to stop everything okay to even then rebuild my life first right before i got back into doing there is a turning point yeah that that happened okay so it's like getting to the top of the hill and then rolling down so I would say that when we were in Reading, um, I had been working with a guy who'd worked for me from, you know, uh, boots on ballast, and, and now I sort of trained him up to be a construction manager. I was the project manager. We'd spent two years together. He sat where you're sat. Mm. This is how we worked. We, we sat in an environment. We were all working together. And um, I had a phone call, so I had the family come down. So I'd had enough of living away from home. Yeah. And I'd said to my, my ex-wife, you know, you need to come and live with me, with yeah. the kids because I'm missing out too much. So it's big debates, big, you know, like they didn't want to, I wanted them to be with me. I said, if we don't, then the marriage is just going to fall apart. Because yeah. we, we can't keep doing this. I need to be somewhere. I need to live somewhere. You know, I can't keep living out of a um, suitcase all the time and yeah. knowing people and stuff like that. Mm. Starting to really affect me. And so we made the decision to, on the September of 2014 to, no, 2013, to move all the kids from, their school's here uh, in Cheshire down to Berkshire. Right. So um, when we did that, they hated it. For a kid, that's hard work. I mean, at that young well, age. I had a 14-year-old son that had a girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he had to leave her. So he absolutely hated it. He ended up punching wind doors in, like the whole shebang. So yep. when we got there, we, we you know, they, they came, we got a house there. They came, we really tried and it was just, you know, not to be. They were, they ended up being in my working world, which was really weird. Yeah. Um, They didn't, Feel my ex-wife didn't feel like she fit in because she was lonely. She didn't have a mum and dad with her, and yeah. it was just a completely like I thought it was going to be great, mm -hmm. and it was actually the worst thing we ever did. I bet without having you there for that long, her mum and dad were really close to her because she probably lent on yeah. them more than oh, yeah, more yeah. than some yeah. some some yeah. people would have done because well, we, we, she didn't have a husband effectively for a lot of the time. Yeah, I mean we rented our house out here to somebody else. Um, they came down to live with me in Reading. And it lasted four months and then they moved back. And the reason for that was there was just constant arguing. By that time, I was like, I thought I'd got my drinking under control, but I was like, drink. that was the point where I was like drinking a lot. Yeah. Like eight cans, 12 cans a night. 
um, that in with the mix of having a young family just join you, um, trying to sort your life out like that was really tough. And then um, I had a phone call. So we work in the Christmas time and um, I had a phone call on the Christmas Eve. Mm-hmm. All the lads were getting ready at site and, you know, I had this phone call. We've got a problem. And I was like, what? And he's like, um, Wayne, who was my construction manager, uh, he's collapsed. I said, what do you mean he's collapsed? And they were like, well, they're resuscitating him now. And I was just like, oh my God, what? So I jumped in the car and my brother took me to the uh, to site and um, he'd already been taken to the, the hospital. So I was like, oh my God. And we'd had a conversation two weeks before that uh, with Wayne and he wanted more money and he was going to leave and, and I, I, I forced him to stay. I was like, you can't leave me now. We've got to deliver this job. Um, we're two weeks away from doing it. You can't just can't just go now you know morally it's not right what do you want and he was like so you know he said he'd stick with it and and we'd get through christmas i said at least get through christmas and then the other end whatever whatever you decide in the new year then we'll sit down and we'll talk about it. it's not a problem but you can't just jump ship now and there was two guys that were just going to go and i was just like oh my god they've been poached from somebody else more money and all that so they said yeah you've been really good to us and 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 we'll stick with it stick with it so when he um, and it was a t- it was tough. What we were doing was really tough. We were yep. under a lot of pressure, and uh, I thought he'd had heart attack. So straight away, I thought it's my fault. Blaming yourself. So I thought, oh my god, oh, this is my fault. Um, so we went to the hospital, and uh, when we got to the hospital, um, the nurse showed me in and she said, "Oh, you, Jamie." And I was like, "Yeah," because uh, Karen, his girlfriend, had already got there because Karen had gone to stay with him quite a bit. They had a young son, and um, she said, "I'm sorry, he's not made it." Oh my God. So I was like, and she said, do you want to see him? So I was like, wow. Uh, and I shouldn't have seen him, mm. but I did. And I just, because it didn't, it was just all surreal. So I said, yeah, I, I want to see him. So she pulled back the curtain and he was just lay on this ma- massive metal slab. Um, and he was a big old guy, uh, Wayne. He was like probably six foot two. He's probably like 16 stone, 17 stone. Big guy, you know, like, and um, lovely, lovely fella. And, um, yeah, he was dead. And he still had the bit in his mouth where they tried to resuscitate him. And all I could remember was, like, the smell, because obviously all the air comes out if you've done it and stuff like that. Mm. And, it, um, yeah, horrendous. And the first thing I did was went and got some beers. So I just, I was like... You felt responsible oh for him. God. You I, felt like it was your fault. I never fault. went to bed that night. I drank all night. I went back to home. I stayed up all night. Uh, I drank all night. And then I threw up all the next day. So my dad and my brother had to go out and do the job for me because all this planned work that we'd had on the Christmas days, working Christmas night, Christmas day, Christmas day night, to get all this work done. And we'd planned it for months and months and months. I mean, we'd put these piles in the ground, you know, it was big engineering work going on. And then that happened. So they went out and did it. And then I eventually went out later out the afternoon, said hello to everybody. And everybody was like, the whole site were devastated. We, we actually thought about calling the works off, but then it was... We asked all the lads what they wanted to do, and they said, no, we want to carry it on for the memory of Wayne. So we ended up getting a plaque done, uh, and it was a mile stretcher track that we did, and um, with all the structures and everything, and I ended up calling it Wayne's Way. Mm. And it has a memorial there now called Wayne's Way. Yeah. Um, so I, from that point, so that happened the 24th, that was the 25th. We had Boxing Day the 26th, and the 27th of December, my wife, ex-wife, dis- decided to... Um, Go back home. With the kids. With the kids. So she wow. up sticks and went. Uh, I had to stay because we still had work to do. Um, and then I had to help uh, Karen, his, uh, Wayne's girlfriend. How could you even think about work when you were going through so much in such a short amount of time? You've got, you've got yeah. that that's happened with, with a colleague at work. You've got you, your wife and kids have gone back home. You are going through all sorts. 
uh, how can you how can you function? How can you do anything? How can you be any good at doing what you're doing? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, um, we're a family-run business, so we just got on with it. You know, my dad expected us to get on with it. Mm. Um, again, you know, maybe looking back on it, probably didn't understand the HR, human resource sort of issues we've got today. It was just no. like, like, we've got a job to do. You know, you can't not. You can't not do it. It's almost just like taking out the, 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 the I don't know, t- part, taking out the emotion and, you know, and just... Part, yeah, a part of me wanted to to stay as well, like on my own. You know, oh. I the kids, the wife was there, like it, everything had just gone tits up. Like my whole world had just been turned upside down. So they they went and I stayed and I stayed because I had to help Karen, uh, Wayne's girlfriend, like with the funeral arrangements and there was lots of things to organise. Mm. Um, and then obviously, you know, we had to wait for the post-mortem. Um, of why Wayne passed away. Um, so all that was going on and then, you know, uh, we had to go back to work and if you've ever sat, if, uh, I actually went back to work and had to sit in the same seat next to an empty chair, which was just horrendous. Like I walked in and everybody knew how close we were. Jeez. And it just was there one minute and gone the next. So uh, a colleague of mine actually got up from his chair and went and sat in Wayne's chair and said, it's all right, mate, we'll get through it. And I was just like... I mean, how do you function when you go back to work? How do you do the same things no, like where you left off? Mm. Um, it was a very successful week. We've got a picture at the end of it of all, all together. It was hugely successful, but it's like, how do you get back on with things? So I think, I don't even remember this point, to be honest. I think I just blacked out in life. I think mm. it was just like treading water. And then my ex-wife went back to Manchester with the kids and she never came back. No. So. Was uh, that the end of the relationship as no, well? No, no, they, they moved into my mum and dad's. Because we'd, we'd rented our house out, so we had to get another rented house that they could go back to. Yeah. Um, my dad helped sort that. Okay. he was here, and, and, and I, I, was, I stayed down there doing what I was, I was doing. And then, um, so that was the 27th of sort of December, and then I eventually got the courage to um, move back, to move all the stuff. So I, said I still had all the Christmas presents all over the floor. Yeah. Wrappings still over the floor. Yeah, the kids' yeah. toys were everywhere. Because all you were thinking about was work at that point, and then well, yeah, I mean, I, I, and then I, you know, I had to move all the stuff back, mm. so I just did it on my own. I just got yep. a, a self van. Uh, it was a five bedroomed house. I just dropped all the beds, put all the clothes in the, you know, in the van, etc., cetera, mm. etc., cetera, and then um, put the Went guinea pigs on. in the van. You know, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that's it. Was a family. We bought them the guinea pigs because yeah, we, we moved down there and, and stuff. And then yeah, so we put everything in the van, and then uh, I drove home on my birthday. It was the nineteenth of Feb. And then I get there and I get out of the van and my mum's like, what's up with your face? And I'm like, not now, mum. You know, um, wrong time. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we'd we'd had um, Eden booked in. Not Eden. I always get Phoebe booked in. No, God, yes, it was Eden. Oh, my God, sorry, Phoebe. Um, so it was Eden we had booked in for a caesarean section. Okay. And that was the 22nd of Feb. So I'd obviously got back to the house. So we ended up, uh, you know, unloading everything. Yeah. And then it was like, right, we have to get ready for Eden to to come um so ex-wife was booked in the hospital yeah we went and had the baby so then we bring a new baby into the world and then uh we had a phone call i'd say it's 24th might be the 25th of feb uh which is dreaded phone call to say that my best friend from school uh that i'd known all my life like nicola mm. um had died of cancer yeah how she, old was she she was so if eden's now nine so it'd be nine years ago so i'm 40 so about 35, 36. Crazy. You know. Crazy. Um, yeah, she, that was it. She'd she battled it for a long time and then 
because you've just gone. So that all happened in the space of eight weeks. All of that. Two deaths. Okay. House move. It's just baby. another work. Another chapter in the emotional roller coaster of what yeah. is what is Jamie's yeah. life. And then and then I think then from from then was the catalyst to online gambling, going back to London, um, getting really drunk, going to strip joints, just yeah. everything that I shouldn't have done, like yeah. vice wise. Yeah. It just I was just doing. Yeah. And um, I didn't know why I was doing it. I was just like, whatever. Um, you know, we were being successful, and you know, I just lost, lost the plot really. Yeah. Uh, and then it was just I ended up driving around in um, Reading and Henley on Thames. I ended up getting a place on my own, nice little apartment again, back on my own, doing what I was doing. And then I ended up driving around for three hours, crying in the car, trying to find a wall uh, to smash it to drive into. And then I was like, I was at crisis point. So that's where I call crisis point. Yeah. yeah. So I, I went into the local doctors and uh, very bravely phoned my mum. Now, I don't know why I did that, but I just phoned her and told her what I was feeling and told her that, you know, I'm going to kill myself. And she was like, right, where are you? And I said, I'm at the doctors. And she went, right, go in and tell them. So I went in and um, <laughs> bless the receptionist. Uh, I went in and just started screaming. If you don't, if you don't let me see a doctor now, I'm going to kill myself. I need to see somebody right now. And she was like, "Well, you need an appointment." And I was like, "You don't understand, love. You know, I'm I'm at a point where right, I need to see somebody yeah. right now." That was your like massive cry for help there. Yeah, and and they they, brave, they did they they got me in uh, a GP and I went and sat with them mm-hmm. and they I talked I can't even remember what we talked about but they put me on antidepressants again. I mean I've been. Did on they it. let you go then or did they yeah, section yeah. you or no, anything no, like that? No, they just no they thought I was compass mentis you know uh, just suffering from depression just gave me tablets and said on your way, and then obviously the alcoholism came out so I was drinking too much so they they booked me in now I don't know why they booked me in in London it was probably me asking to London because I was going to go back there working. But they booked me in a clinic in London uh, for alcoholism. Instead right. of saying, like, go to AA, there's anything yeah, yeah. around here. Booked me in to see an actual therapist for okay. alcoholism. So, uh, you know, that was another story. I mean, I ended up going in there and um, going into, like, a basement in London with these big, massive townhouses. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, taken through corridors and sat with the guy. And then the guy that was talking to me, the therapist, actually burst into tears. And I was just like, oh, okay. wow. well, this is a waste of time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why are you crying? Yeah, I've come to see you. You're, so you're like supposed to be helping me. Yeah, so I just got up and walked out. Right. So, you know, I stayed stayed away for a bit, um, and then so that was what. Two Do you know what though? This is a time when you need help, and something you've gone to get help, and then what you're actually getting isn't giving you what you need. There's, so, there's, so this yeah. isn't going to end there's, well, there's, is it? There's something that happened that I can't. I can only speak off it off air on it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the turning point. Okay. Like, like after this happened, it was like, right, you, you know, you've got real problems. And I was like, yeah. oh, no, like to do what I did was just crazy. So, yeah. um, and that was to do, it was alcohol fueled. So yeah. I sat on the, you know, um, the steps of the cellar and I'd, I'd, I'd hide in lots of stuff, hiding booze everywhere. I was hiding booze in the boot of the car. Yeah. I was hiding, you know. So when you start getting talking about alcoholism and everybody's like, do you do this? Do you do that? And I'm like, oh my God, that's just me. Yeah. Um, so the so when I say about the before the flashing blue lights, this is the chapter. I yeah, obviously we'll finish there and we'll do another one. But um, it was it was a Christmas and uh, I'd I'd uh, bef- run up to the Christmas. It's just I said to my best mate, you know, I needed to get off the drink. You know, I'm putting too much weight on, blood yep. pressure's up, all that sort of stuff. So we, we decided to do like a bit of a triathlon or something. So I said, well, I'm not going in the water because I can't swim. So it was like, well, we'll do. Um, you know, uh, Scotland Coast to Coast Challenge. So we got fit for six months. Yep. Lost two stone. Um, did the bike cycle ride. Uh, we, we did the run. It took us two days to go 105 miles across Scotland. Wow. 
um, you know, eight mile run, then you get off and then you do a bike ride for 40 Amazing. miles and then you That's get cool. off and you do a run again and then mm-hmm. you get kayaking. And we were really proud of ourselves when we finished on the second day, but then we found out that a guy did it in six hours on the first day. It's always summer that goes better. <laughs> and we were just like demoralised. You know, yeah. Work for six months solid and then gone, oh, what a twat. Still, yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. It's still you one know. hell of an achievement. It might um, not be the perfect 10, but it's uh, But it was it, cool. it was a way of me offsetting drinking, you see. Yeah. yeah. So, and then the day after I'd stopped, what did I do? I had a, I had a pint. To celebrate. Within three months of that, I was in the hospital in a padded room. Mm. Oh, right. Yeah. So the three months from the September, October, November, December, we were having a Christmas party. And it wasn't even me in the argument, but there was a massive argument that started family fueled, booze fueled between like, my lad and my, my dad and, you know, whatever was going on. And then somebody said to me, like, what you get involved for? You're never here. You're not even his dad. And it was, that really hit me hard. That I mean, yeah. I used to come home at sure. weekends and guys used to say to me, oh, you do exist. You mm. know, when I come home at the weekend and I go out mm. with my ex-wife and people are like, oh, Jamie, oh, you do exist. And yep. I was like, it, like very sarcastically. Sarcastically. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't really you know, your I choice your, to go and I do I see that. your ex-wife every day taking the kids to school, but you're never here. And, it, you know, it was that type <laughs> of thing. So it was like... Um, it's like, fuck off. It's so none of your business. Kind of thing. <laughs> so yeah. I think all that had happened are massive arguments. Um, so the next minute I knew I was phoning the police myself mm-hmm. uh, because I tried to slip my wrist. Okay. Uh, and... Uh, I ended up with, um, I can remember, was, I always say, this flashing blue lights in the kitchen because I just put this massive, like this beautiful white kitchen in with Corian tops and all this. Mm. And it was just filled with blue. Yeah. And um, mm-hmm. the ambulance was outside, the police were outside. I had, uh, the room was full of, well, there was four coppers in there and two paramedics. And the last thing I remember is the paramedic just coming up to me and saying, it's okay, just give me the knife. And I was like, what? And I just remember my son being stood at the back of the room. Really? And he was just watching the whole thing. And he'd let the paramedics in and the police in. Right. And uh, I just gave him the knife and I was like, I think I need, I think I need some help. Yeah. So they put me in the ambulance and took me to Steppenhill Hospital. And um, I sat there with my dad and, and uh, uh, I was sat in a padded room. I was like, I'm in a padded room, aren't I? And there's no light switches. Everything's bolted down. He just said, you are, mate. We need to sort you out. And that was the start of... The demise, really, from that point, I lost my house, lost my wife, my ex-wife, lost my car, lost my job, mm. lost the kids because we'd split up um, and ended up with a fiver in my back pocket. Um, and that's yeah, that's where that ended. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. Honestly, fa- I mean, first of all, thank you for sharing yeah. it, all that with us. Yeah. That is absolutely, you know, that is very, very personal stuff that you've shared with us on episode one. Yeah. Um, you know, thanks for your honesty. You know, I think it'd be uh, well, it's it's what it's all about. I think you know, the brand's honest and transparent, and that's a part of where that comes from, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, to to lay it all out on the line and make it honest and stuff. And I think you know, if if this has bored anybody, then I'm sorry, but then if if it's helped anybody, then then great because if you can help one person in the world from your story, then it's well worth you know doing. And there's there's plenty of people I've helped, like. Ex-military men with PTSD and right, well, you know, helped buy laptops for the sons because they can't afford them and filled the fridge full of food. And but then I don't do that for any thanks. It's almost like I do it because I enjoy doing it and it makes me feel good. Yeah, so it's like yeah. passing it on. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's a part of mental health, you know. And yeah. I feel it's the same with thing with it. We'll go into the brand, but I feel, I feel the same thing with the brand when people mm. put things on that we've all worked so hard to do and they enjoy yeah. them and that's a part of that feeling. Yeah. You can't beat that feeling when you've done something 
your designers have designed something, I've designed something, we've made it, and then the customer puts it on in the shop and goes, oh my God, this is amazing. Yeah. No better feeling than that. Yeah, absolutely. That's what it's all about. So... Amazing. Right. Well, thank you very much for listening uh, to the podcast. Um, I hope you've enjoyed uh, what is Jamie Lundy part one. We've got more to come on that uh, and more about the brand. The next episode, uh, we're going to delve into into 7L and you starting the brand. Thank you so much. Please hit subscribe, like and share it with everybody. This is now available on all wherever you get your podcast.